title of the message this morning is God told Moses, I will, which is an amazing attribute of our Lord. In Exodus chapter 6, here we pick up with verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, when the Egyptians keep in whom, I'm sorry, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, whom am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel, and unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt." And here we see the design, the engineering, the prophecy and the provision of the Lord getting ready to deliver his people. The question is, can he deliver his people? Is God real? Is he there? Can he do these things? Well, we're going to look at two main attributes today that will show us very, very interesting, precious applications of the Lord that we serve. Here we're picking up, for the last time I spoke, we spoke the last couple of times at least, we, start, we started off with the objections of Moses. And Moses is thought of as this great leader. And it's always projected that Moses just went headfirst into this ministry and he went in, let my people go. But he spoke to God first. And here we see woven into this passage exactly one of the problems that Moses was worried about. Will they listen to me, and when I tell them about who thou art, how are they going to know? The Lord says, I understand. They're not recognizing, recognizing me by my name, Jehovah, but be patient. God is patient with Moses. He replies mercifully to him and tells him, Now thou shalt see what I will do. Once again, reminding Moses of who he truly is. <coughs> He's God Almighty. He's Jehovah Elohim. He's the great creator of all things who is sovereign as we see over in the New Testament as Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty six. For of him 
and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Barring nothing. Everything is of him, through him, to him, and of him. Two, two things we will see with, which can really give us in our hearts a great connection to who we serve. God identifies himself as Jehovah, the great keeper of his word, the great keeper of his covenant, perfectly fulfilling every prophecy and who will deliver Israel. And Moses here in these verses is being taught patience. Wait upon the Lord. Trust him fully. And especially in these first six verses. Basically, it's kind of a compendium, a, a review of what's been happening with the conversations between God and Moses. And isn't it precious to see this session meeting? There the Lord himself is training Moses. And by training Moses, we are learning applications of the Christian faith on how we are to regard our Lord God Almighty with reverence and what we are to do to follow Him. This isn't some old story. It's not some old legend or myth or some kind of fable. This is us right now being in class. We are in session, and God is teaching this to us. This is what I love about the adult Sunday school class and how it's it's a little harder for me to do this because I love the Sunday school class and Wednesday night prayer meeting because we teach each other. You know, there's a lot of correspondence, and like this morning, very, very good words back and forth, and we discuss and we really, we really kind of forensically go into scripture and learn it. But here the Lord is teaching us. And here God reminds Moses about the forefathers. Forefathers are so important. Who's he mentioned here? Abraham. He mentions Isaac, Jacob, the forefathers. As we spoke about this morning, remember Christ said, Abraham, rejoice to see my day. Moses spoke of me. The forefathers are so important. And look how they're trying to eradicate the forefathers of the United States of America, calling them racists. Racists? And these men fought. They died. They bled. Talk about a true president, one that would literally stand in a boat when his men's feet were freezing off of their legs going over the Delaware River to save our nation. The president was in that boat, not sitting up on his perch or in his basement doing nothing. He was on that boat. Forefathers. They want to eradicate our forefathers and take them away from us. They want to take the history away from us. And God himself always goes back to the forefathers. And he reminds Moses of the ones even before him. And Moses himself is a forefather. What happens in the New Testament? How many times does Paul and Peter, Jesus himself, speak of the forefathers in the Old Testament? Over and over again, forefathers are important. Plug this right back into Memorial Day service. Forefathers, he reminds them of the great covenant he made with Abraham. And now shows Moses that he will do what he will do in his perfect timings. So we move forward to verses 6 to 8, a reminder of the basic fact that God will keep his covenant, and he says it over and over and over again, by the benediction, I am the Lord. I don't lie. When I give you a commandment, I give you a covenant, I will keep it. You can bet on it. Moses in his narrative writes the words of the Lord, and he talks back and forth, and the Lord reifies and he says, remember my covenant. Our Savior heard the groanings of his people. He heard the cries of Moses. His ears are open unto our cries. We learn, let's turn to Psalm chapter 34, verse 15. I don't have that written in my notes, so I'm just going to turn to it. I'll give, you, give, give us a, a quick minute to turn to that. Psalm chapter 34, verse 15.
In Psalm 34, 15, here we read, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. And here, there's going to be a lot of crying. There's going to be crying, there's going to be moaning, there's going to be endless groaning. Eventually, the Israelites are going to say, Moses, why didn't you send us right back to the leeks, the garden, the onions, and the cucumbers? Why are you out here trying to kill us? The Lord says, just be patient. We learn how our Lord sympathizes with all our dilemmas. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And we see here in verse 7, And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And this is a message of all time. I will free you from your enslavement, whatever it is. And this is what he's telling Moses. There is a specific enslavement, a real occupation of the Egyptians taking the people of Israel, making them make bricks without straw, making it so they have no family time, and that is the first objective of Satan to destroy a nation. Take away the family. Split it. Make sure that there's no mother and father. Make sure that the kids are all about as incorrigible, or there are no kids. Like today, what is the national average? And I don't know, what do you do with a baby that's 1.34? Which baby is 0.34? Whatever it is today, what is it? The average national average of well, babies that families have is like 1.34 now or 1.72. I don't know how the second baby becomes a fraction, but that's what it is today. And so that is exactly what Pharaoh does. He demoralizes the families of Israel and he makes it so that they're doing nothing but having time but to work for him. And I think that's another application today, how the mother and father work so much today that they don't have enough time for the kids. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. But here, this is the enslavement and this is what the Lord is saying. Our Lord then tells Moses in verse 7 what will happen. And let's always remember, and here they are, there's two main contributing factors or attributes of God, and they come in two forms. His I am's and his I wills. He mentions who he is to reveal to us who we are to be entrusting, and then he says what he will do. And I think that's a wonderful blessing. Now, if we look at the IMs first, we've already talked about them in great length, but already we've seen the Lord God Almighty say all the way back in Exodus 3, you tell the people of Israel, I am that I am, I am the God of your fathers, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he makes it very clear who he is. He tells Moses, I spoke to your ancestors. What would you think if God came to you today and says, and if, you're, if your faith is very weak, what would you do if he came to you today and talked to you one-on-one? Let's just say you went up to Rock State Park, you went up on the mountain, all of a sudden God starts speaking. And he tells you, I spoke to your great-great-grandfather. This is what I told him. I loved him. He served me. Wouldn't that give you some encouragement in your heart to serve him? I know if he said that about my grandfather, I know my ears would be open. My grandfather always told me to keep your ears open and your mouth shut. That's been kind of a tough thing. But, but he tells Moses, I've spoken to your forefathers. 
Now I'm going to speak to you. And he says, I am that I am. Then again, you, you flip over, look at verse 1 in chapter 5. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they, be, that they, they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Now he's calling himself the God of Israel. So he identifies himself. Well, now do you see why the Jews were so furious at Jesus in the New Testament? Remember when he called, started calling himself the great I am? Remember all the I am statements that we, we've heard, we've talked about? I love going over them and going back to them in the book of John. Some of them, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am he. When he said, I am he, a whole cohort of soldiers fell to the ground. Remember that? I am the true vine. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. He says this, and what he was doing, and the Jews had such a knowledge of the Old Testament that they said, well, he's calling himself the great I am. It's Jehovah that's the great I am. And Christ then says in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. That threw gasoline on the fire. And that's when they said, okay, that's it. we got to get him fell right into the hands of God's providence. Exactly what they did. And here you see the connection. So now that's the part of the I am's. Now look at the I wills. It's always good for us to have a will, right? <laughs> well, the Lord has seven I wills here. Seven I wills. The first one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You will no longer be a slave, in other words, buy them no more. No more hard labor. That's number one. Number two, I will rid you out of their bondage. You will be free to have your own land and work for yourselves, not Pharaoh. In other words, he's saying in that second I will, you're going to have your families back. And you're going to work together. And when you work together, you will have autonomy because you will use my law. You will not be enslaved. And number three, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And this is what means... Pestilence, because the plagues will come upon Egypt and the long arm of God's wrath will beat Egypt into submission. They won't listen. This is a perfect understanding and a perfect lesson for those that reject Christ and do not listen to God. His, his long arm will be stretched out. And what's the old saying? You cannot outrun the long arm of the law. Then the next two are about God's choosing a nation for himself. He says... I will take you to me for a people. He's calling out a new nation. That's number four. Number five, I will be to you a God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and God will personally direct them and take care of Israel. He's saying, I will give you the provisions. Now remember the name that was given to God himself by Abraham when he had pulled the knife all the way back, ready to fillet his son on the altar and have him bleed out as a sacrifice of obedience to God. That's what was going to happen to Isaac. And can you imagine what an awful three days that was for Abraham? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the angel says, take that knife out of your hand. God has said, I will send, I will provide. And there was a precious little animal, a little ram in the thicket, comes in and once again... The Lord sacrificed one of his animals to spare one of his people. And Abraham just comes down. Can you imagine the prayer that he had with Isaac? Can you imagine how he felt so relieved? What was he going to tell Sarah? 
What would he have gone back? Oh, I took, I took Isaac and I cut him to pieces. <laughs> Boy, that would have been tough. But the Lord brings the, the ram, he brings the animal, and then Abraham prays and he says, Jehovah Jireh, the great provider of all things. And what did, what did he say back here? They don't know me as Jehovah. So if they don't know him as Jehovah, then they don't know the names that go along with him. These names had already been given back in the book of Genesis. I will provide, number five, I will be to you a God which bringeth you out under the burdens. I will take care of you. Number six, I will bring you in unto the land concerning that which I did swear to give it to you, Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, back to Canaan, where all forefathers had to leave. He's saying, giving them a prophecy, he's saying that I am going to, to confirm and keep my covenant. I'm going to keep my word. If I say I'm going to give you your land, listen. How many people along the way wouldn't listen? It's said that at the very end, when they entered into the promised land, was hardly any of them left. Even Moses himself didn't make it until the Mount of Transfiguration. Number seven, I will give it to you for inheritance, a legacy for future generation. And God ends his reply in the benediction, I am the Lord. You know, part of theological training, I've been studying some of the outlines of theology by A.A. A. Hodge, and I love it. Part of theological training, there is actually eight main points. One is aesthetics, one is methodology, one is archaeology, but one is history. One of, the, one of the greatest points that Hodge brings up, and he was reformed. He loved the Lord, and these incredible points, he said that the science... He said that basically religion, only the only true religion is the one that has the true science of theology. And that science of theology is the providence and the presentation of the supernatural Christian scriptures done its original form from its original, from its original um, writings. And he speaks of the canonization of scripture. And he says how important it is as Christians that we know our history. It's very important. And that's the seventh point. I will give it to you for inheritance. That means your children will tell your children. Their children. Their children will tell their children. And so on and so on. And there's only one of two outcomes that these seven I wills could be. This number seven heritage, there's one of two outcomes. You either tell your children, and I will bless you, your second generation, your third generation, your fourth generation, or I will curse you until you can't breathe. And there was no purgatory there. There was no in-between. You turn your back on me, and I will fix you, and it's going to be the worst thing you can do. These seven directives grow out of the covenant he made with Abraham, and he confirmed them to Isaac. And you can take every single one of these points, and you can connect them back to the covenants that he made with these forefathers. It all connects. Remember in Genesis 17, God gives Abraham seven I wills that are promises of the covenant. I will make my covenant between me and thee. I will multiply thee exceedingly. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. Going back to Genesis 17, verses 2 and 6. I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee. I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, I will be their God. Verse 8. 
I will bless, and he's talking about Abraham's wife, Sarah, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. The kings of people shall be of her. Look at how you take those. Those are the very words, the covenantal words that God said to Abraham. And here he brings them right back and he reminds Moses of them and shows, I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to back off. Remember in Jeremiah, we read in Jeremiah in his book, chapter 7. And actually, and, and no, there was, there were, I'm sorry, there were I wills in chapter 31 of Jeremiah of the new covenant with Christ's care over the church. And we read in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 to 34, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And there's, some, there's, there's several more I wills. He says, I will make the covenant. I will put my law in their inward parts. I will be their God. I will make them my people. I will make my people know me. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. These are the I wills that transfer from the Old Testament covenant to the I wills of Christ himself. Now, look how that comes together in that covenant and how Christ and His Father are one. And it's carried out by the Holy Spirit now after Christ's ascension. Isn't that incredible? He says, I will make them my people and I will make my people know me. What does that mean? I will reveal myself unto Him. I will give my people my word. They will worship me. And here's a big question. Is worship... Is corporate worship on Sunday morning in the sanctuary, is that supposed to be a dedicated time of evangelism? That's a tough question, because when I first heard it, I said, of course. No, it's not. If you think about that, if it's just dedicated time of evangelism, then that's where you get seeker services from. That's where churches today are not catering to their congregation, which are not to cater to them, they are to warn them. They are to prepare them. They are to prepare them for that great commission. But many churches today, what they're doing is they're catering to unbelievers and using every type of method and every type of gimmick to get them in the chairs. And they're catering to unbelievers. Look at the signs. Look at the signs that are on the front of the churches around here. You've seen them. Many of them. Many of them, that's what they're reaching out for. What the Lord is saying, I will make them my people. I will reveal them to me. They will worship me in my temple, in my sanctuary. And that's exactly what he says here. Man defied and breached the original covenant of works made with the first Adam. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, 17. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And these seven I wills, this new covenant, all teach us of the covenant of grace by the second Adam who is Christ. Always remember, these ten commandments... They're condemnations. Without Christ, there is no hope. These Ten Commandments are condemnations and show us every sin we ever commit fall under one of these tenets here. They're not, these, are not, uh, these are not insinuations or just things that we should consider. These are commandments. They are declarations of God 
They're not decorations of God. They're declarations of God. And we are to follow them. But if you stick with the old Jewish law and you take Christ out of it, what is the end result? There's no hope. But those commandments now, is what Christ is saying here, going back to the covenants, the covenants are made with God, with Moses and our forefathers, and if all of this works together and it's true, then there is one that will come that will fulfill that law, that will shed his blood for our sins, and will spare us from the condemnation of these Ten Commandments. Because we're all guilty of them. If you've you've broken one, you've broken all ten of them. You've broken them. You have angered a just God. So if you go into court, and basically God is there, and you go in, and and the Lord gives you a condemnation, and He he calls down upon you, can you literally tell Him that you are an unjust God, you're not fair? That's not possible. If you've broken His commandments, you are guilty. Under law, there is nothing, no work, no money, no nothing you can offer Him. But there is one. Matthew 5.20, Except thy righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. How can we have any righteousness without Christ? And it's so important that this message, you see these verses all tie into these covenants in the New Testament. You look in the Westminster Confession of Faith in question and answer number 31. Question 31. With whom was the covenant of grace made? And the answer, the covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam and in Him with all the elect as His seed. Don't let the word elect throw you. We have no idea the absolute magnitude of the word elect. Only God has that perfect knowledge. So don't let it throw you and say, well, if God elected so many people, why am I even going to bother telling anybody about Christ? He's already done it. You have no idea what that means. You have no idea how broad that is. We don't know, as Pastor Olson said, and as Pastor Britton both said that. We don't know. And the Lord has given us a choice out inside of His providence, a physical choice to do His work, But we don't decide to follow Jesus. He pulls us in. But He gives us choices every day inside of His providence. We can choose what color clothes we're going to wear, where we're going to go eat, how we're going to do this and that. And these choices, we are accountable for them. And if we remember that Christ fulfilled this law and He spared us from the condemnation and He bore that on the cross, then if you're a real Christian, you're saying, Oh Lord, thank you. Why did you ever pick me? But he did, and when he does, you will never be plucked out of his hand. You couldn't do it if you tried. And he will love you. He will bring you back when you fall. He will lift you up. And that's what I love about this. Galatians 3.23 But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Once again, this is Galatians 3, I'm on verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to 
the promise. That's the covenant. Does it make sense to you now? <laughs> doesn't, this, doesn't this thrill your heart that you are Christ according to the promise that was given here? And you know, that verse 28, verse 27 and 28, just totally annihilates the critical race theory. This is for all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. His blood is open to the world. Now, I can't answer. This question has come through many times. I cannot answer why the Lord would providentially allow man to sin, only to answer you that it glorifies Him. And there are many questions. I love John MacArthur. has ten questions. We're never to answer God. That's one of them. I mean, we're never to ask God. That's one of them. And I can't tell you about election. All I know is what I can tell you is I am wonderfully glad as a Christian that I serve a God that knows everything. Even the number of people that will be in heaven. And I do believe it will be a lot more than we think. Although it says narrow is the gate, according to God that's narrow. But to us, we're going to see people we never dreamt of. And I think that that's all should be an encouragement. And we should stop taking these words predestination and election and, pro- and providence and all and stop making them these dirty words. That's what a lot of other evangelical churches do. They hate Calvin. They hate the word Calvinism. John Calvin didn't even know what the word Calvinism was. All he did was he taught the doctrine of predestination, reformation, reformed theology and election. He taught that all he was saying is that God knows everything. And if he doesn't know that number that's in heaven, don't call him God anymore because he's a liar. Then he's a liar. If he doesn't know, if there's something he doesn't know, then he's not God. God ends his reply and now puts an end to to disputing with Moses as we move forward. In verses 9 to 13, and Aaron thus pronouncing his own authority and giving Moses further commands. Moses and Aaron deliver the second message to the people of Israel. Israel's response to Moses was propelled by measuring the favor of God by their immediate success. This was the second message Moses was to bear. Anguish had stolen the hearts of Israel. Despair had moved into the forefront of their dimensional minds. They couldn't even believe Institution. You ever heard that word institutionalized? A man that goes to prison, it's been there his whole life, 30, 40 years, gets out, doesn't know what to do with himself once he's outside of the jail. In the jail, he learns how to defend himself. He learns how to work. He learns how to be in charge of things. I've been to jails. I've done a couple jail ministries. You know, I think two, two, of, the, two of the biggest uh, jail ministerial pastors that do such a lovely job are Pastor Olson and Pastor Evans. Both of them still continue on, and they couldn't wait till that whole COVID thing went off, and they went right back to the jails, and they're right back preaching in the jails. Being institutionalized means you've conformed. You've become part of that community. And when you go out, you don't even know how to react because you're so used to being inside of those walls. That's what happened here to Israel. They were institutionalized. They didn't have any thought of worshiping anything other than the pagan gods of Egypt which, what was a pagan god? Everything was a pagan god in Egypt. The dogs were gods. Then you see them all basically carved in gold in some of the crypts. The frogs were gods. The rivers were gods. Pharaoh was the ultimate deity. All of the different Ramses that came down the pike and between Joseph and Moses, there, was, there were several different pharaohs. And they had basically 
had devolved into a wicked Pharaoh that knows not Joseph, just like we have in the White House right now. He doesn't even know himself. And we got, we got this evil, wicked Pharaoh that knows not Joseph. And that's what happened. And so basically, what happens here is the Lord is saying, I am going to deinstitutionalize you, for lack of a, if that's a real word, world, we're probably not. But I am going to pull you out of there, and I'm going to show you what not freedom is. I'm going to show you what liberty is. That's what that big statue at the harbor in New York, that's not the statue of freedom. That's the statue of liberty, right? Israel was more contented with the scraps from Pharaoh's table instead of the liberty from the invitation of free comfort promised by their creator. And patience would be the key to their blessings. This is a longer wait than they ever thought, but was it worth waiting for? Is it worth waiting for on this earth, us to follow Christ and see what he has in store for us? Isn't it worth the wait? I don't know about you, but I want to see. I hope you do. I know, you, I know many of you do. Israel had become settled in their present state. They had basically be, become very levitated there. That they openly rejected God and they worshipped the gods of the Egyptians. And now their time was to turn their attention and their love to the God that promised them this covenant. This is a perfect scenario of America. It's lost its first love. In the schools, in the colleges, in the seminaries. In the seminaries, critical text. Talking to a couple pastors this Thursday and on, on Tuesday night about critical text. You all may not know what critical text is, but it's bad. Critical text basically takes the Bible and rips it to shreds and says it's not perfect. It says it's not inerrant. There's all kinds of problems in the Bible. You pick and choose. Do whatever you want. Let some guy stand behind a pulpit, play a guitar, and tell you some of the things about what's in the Bible. Most of it's not true. That's what critical text does to Scripture, and that's what's ruined seminary. Oh, it's brought millions of dollars into big churches. But truth hurts, doesn't it? We need the truth. Moses had just met with the elders a second time. So what happens? The Egyptians, after God had just plainly told Israel, I mean, the Lord had just told the Israelites against the Egyptians how he would deliver them, and we see how our nation openly rejects God here in the United States. When the President of the United States years ago signed Don't Ask, Don't Tell Bill in the wake of abject wickedness, and it was to protect sodomites in the military. The murdering of innocent unborn babies now is out of the mother's womb, bad enough it's in the womb. And their little ba- that little baby at, at inception, the very first day, is a human being. Gay marriage has taken off. Right now, the pride flag is right between two American flags. We have men that fought in the military here. How do you think about that? They've taken the blood and the sweat and the tears and pushed it back for the blasphemy of the rainbow flag to uplift the alphabet group. The LGBTQ, ABCDFG, I don't know what it is now. If you stand for the truth, you will fall for anything. America has rejected God, and now Sodom and Gomorrah does not seem that bad after all, thanks to Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, Bill Clinton, Kathleen Sibyllis, oh, was she a murderer, a baby murderer, oh, Nancy Pelosi, just to name a few. We have one in the governorship now. He's as bad as them. He's right there. Israel now is being called to worship. What would they do? 
Well, we see a verse here, if you were reading plainly, what Moses' Moses conundrum is. Look at this verse. Verse 10, And the taskmasters of the people went out. No, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong... It's, it's chapter 6. Go and speak unto Pharaoh, verse 11. I get ahead of myself, I'm sorry. It's Exodus 6, 11. Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Then he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. This is a good question. How then shall Pharaoh hear who am of uncircumcised lips? And he's saying, if my people... Moses is saying, Lord, if your people who are my people won't listen to me, how am I ever going to convey this message to Pharaoh? If God, he's saying, if God's people won't do what they're called to do, how can we expect the enemy to do it? If they're not going to listen. If they're not going to do what's right. If they're not going to follow the law and they're going to honor the Lord and stand firm. If they're not going to do that, what's going to happen? Another pastor talked to Thursday. I talked about this in the Sunday school class. Not going to mention his name. Stood up against sodomy. His synod came after him. Wanted him to be compassionate to sodomites. He said no, and they filed charges, had a trial against him, and he was never exonerated, and the church split. Because he was doing what's right. The Lord speaks unto Moses again and commands him to stay the course. He says, you stay the course, go back to Pharaoh again. Go back, go back, go back, go back. And that's what the Lord tells us to do. You don't just say the gospel one time in your life and go home and say, all right, that's it, I'm done, I'm good. People do that. No, the rest of your life. It's not a burden. My yoke is not heavy. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. It's a grace. Whenever it doesn't it feel good to tell people about the Lord, you go home saying, you know, that was awesome. I didn't see that coming. That was the Lord. It wasn't me. I'm nothing but a bag of worms. But, you know, the Lord uses me and lets me speak His Word. Isn't that wonderful? Moses is playing a dangerous game. He's in the middle of a conundrum. Matthew Henry says, if God's professing people hear not as messengers, how can it be thought that his professed enemy should? If the Christians won't speak up, then how are the enemies supposed to hear? And this pastor asked me on Thursday, he said, Tim, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He said, I see no young men coming up through the ranks. He said, he asked me, he was almost in tears. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You can get in your pulpit on Sunday morning and preach. And he just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. He's a pastor. Precious, precious man. This is how Moses thought. He could not get past that. That is a legitimate gripe. And he cared. And he is pouring his heart out to God. In essence, he's speaking to an audible God. He's praying to God audibly. And he's talking to Him. That's a good lesson in prayer. And it's a good lesson in how to pray. Because even the most intimate questions that are in Moses' heart, he presents them before Jehovah. And he's begging him for help. You want to get out of your problems? You're in the middle of trials. You're going to face them. You think you're the only ones? The unsaved have them too. They have them. But what do you do when you don't have this precious God to go to? What do you do? What do they go to? Psychotherapy, drugs, alcohol. Look at the death rate on fentanyl right now because people are depressed. You know, you go to God, he, He's going to get you through this. And I love Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither, pray, neither my praise to graven image. And that makes worship very simple. 
You don't have to go around worshiping all these guys and gods and trying to get into heaven on a technicality because you've tried all the religions out. You have one God, and that's a wonderful God. Wonderful God. Praise the Lord, brother. God's plan will not be altered at all, not for the despair of Israel, not from the defiance of Pharaoh. Moses again is back into despair and pronounces an objection. Who am I of uncircumcised lips? I am not an eloquent speaker. How are they going to believe me when I tell them it's you? You do it. The Holy Spirit present in the New Old Testament? Well then, why don't you go to a Strong's Concordance and punch in the word spirit and see how many times it comes up. Because there are those that out there say, Holy Spirit didn't come till the New Covenant. And that's a lot of Pentecostals. And we have the Holy Spirit coming in every week because they got, you know, they have Pentecost every week. The Holy Spirit was nowhere to be found until Acts chapter 2. Oh yeah? I can stand here and quote your verses for all if you'd like me to. But they're there. I won't do that. You go home and do it. It's your homework. The Holy Spirit is there. Verse 13, he says, stay the course. Remember, Adam, I will, I will, I am, and I will. Here's who I am, and when I tell you I'll do something, I will do it. How many times do we say I will do something? And all of a sudden we don't show up. Or all of a sudden I'm too sick. You know, mom, mom splintered her toe. You know, dad, dad's uh, not feeling well. I can't do it today. This happens. You know, we're weak. And, you know, you apologize. You go back and you try to make things right. But we are to stay the course. We are to remember. Remember these seven tenets. And you know what? Before we leave, I'm going to say them one more time. I'm going to go through them real quick. Because if you missed them, I think they're wonderful to remember. Remember, said the Lord said, I will bring you out of the burdens of, of Egypt. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretch arm. Number three, I will take you to, to me for a people. I will be to you a God which bringeth you out from under their burdens. I will bring you into the land concerning that which I did swear to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give you an heritage. We have an heritage. Don't forget about that heritage. Don't, don't, don't forget to tell your kids and your grandkids about that heritage. And give them the truth. And not listen to all these idiots out here that don't even know what a textbook is. They read a couple of Wikipedia blurbs and now they're some kind of educational academician. And you know, we have a really wonderful history with Christians that built this nation. And that's exactly what God was telling Moses. You tell the people of Israel, Abraham was a sinner saved by grace and he loved me. So was Moses. You know, you want to read about the Holy Spirit? It said that Gideon was filled with the Spirit. You know, it's amazing how he was filled with the Spirit when he said, Lord, how am I ever going to do this? He said, shut up, you're going to go. No, you're not getting 30,000, you're not getting 25,000, you're not getting 20,000, you're not getting 15,000, you're not getting 10,000, you're not getting 5,000. I'm going to give you 300 and I'm going to give you a bunch of banged up old pitchers and trumpets and you're going to win. And do you think God could have done that with just Gideon alone? We did it with David, didn't he? He had a little, little, little guy, he was only about 8, 17 years old, takes a smooth stone and whacks Goliath right in the head. The whole Philistines heard a shot coming from God that day. And if the Lord says He can do it, I'm telling you, every single one, He can do this in your life. Trust Him. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. Let's end with that this morning. Thank Thee, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank Thee for Thy Word, Lord, Thou said I will, and every time... Every prophecy all throughout Scripture was absolutely 100% perfectly fulfilled. So when thou tells us that thy son will come a second time, it's coming. And when he does, 
we will be ready. Because thou hast prepared us. And we look forward to that day. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And we thank thee for that. Bless us and keep us from falling today, Lord. Bless every family here. Watch over them. Every unsaved loved one they have. Every unspoken prayer request. Every trial and tribulation. Lord, lift them today. Lord, thou can do it. And if not, remember our trials. Strengthen us. And they refine us like iron, striking iron, Lord. And just strengthen us, Lord. And help us, Lord, to stay the course. Lord, we thank Thee for the efficacy of Thy Scriptures and the endurance that, thy Savior, that our Savior, Thy Son, sent us, being enduring on the cross to save us from our wicked sins. Lord, bless us and keep us from falling. We ask in Thy name we pray. Amen.